You know, brother, I wasn't able to do this the last time you spoke because I was over at the Raspberry Campus. But um, I just want you church family to know that I've been watching this brother's life from the time you set foot on this campus. I know that you love Jesus, you love God with all your heart, that you have a rich knowledge of the word, that you take the word of God and you hold it in, with integrity and you want to make sure with, with everything that you do that you present the word as it is supposed to be presented. And for that, I am thankful. And I want to be the one, Lance, as the pastor of this church to welcome you today to our pulpit. What about you, family? Enjoy, brother. Love you too, man. That was a rich time of worship. Amen? The presence of God. Isn't it just worth waiting for? Just worth stepping into? The presence of God is better than anything on this planet magnifying the experience of God as the greatest experience that there is. Abba, we belong to you. We've been going through the book of Hebrews for several weeks, and for the past few weeks, we've discussed how Jesus was appointed to be the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And now we're in chapter 7. And I want to start with the very first point that Melchizedek is the foreshadow of Jesus Christ. And to make this point, we're going to need to get a better understanding of who Melchizedek was and what he did for Abraham, the father of the faith. So we're going to start in Hebrews 7, verses 1 through 10. We're going to read it. Verse 1, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils, and those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. As verse 1 says, this Melchizedek is a high priest of the Most High God. And as verse 2 says, his name means king of righteousness. And he is the king of Salem. And in our current day language, the way we speak, we say Salem. But we must know that the, the word 
in their tongue is shalem. So when we might say salem or shalem, which means king of shalom, king of peace. Furthermore, verse 3 says, there is no record of his father or mother, his ancestry, his birth or death. Like the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. And we must understand that Melchizedek is the first mention of a priest in the Old Testament. And not only that, but any priest mentioned after him was not a priest of the Most High God. They were, quote, priest of On or priest of Midian, and these are areas in or around Egypt, but no other priest of the one true God is mentioned until the beginning of the Levitical priesthood, which was started by Aaron, the brother of Moses, and they are both sons of Levi. So there's some information on Melchizedek, and now I want us to learn a little about Abraham, because he's the man who received the promises of the Most High God. And I want us to imagine what it would be like to receive those promises. So imagine this with me if you can. Imagine being born and raised in one place with all your family, all your kin, and then God tells you, leave this place without a plan or destination, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and anyone who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What if God said that to you? How would that make you feel? Would you trust God? Would you be excited? Would you be afraid? In another um, account written in Genesis 13, Abraham was watching over his flock from the top of a hill, and God said to him, As far as your eye can see in every direction, this is the land I will give to you and your offspring forever. I'm going to give you so many descendants that no one will be able to count them. Can you imagine God saying this to you? And how incredible would it be for God to say to you, I'm going to make you the father, or if you're female, the mother of many nations. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring forever. All of this is what God promised Abraham. And this is what their relationship was founded on. So we talked a little bit, a bit about Melchizedek and a little bit about Abraham, and I want to explain to you how they met. Abraham's nephew, Lot. Lot's family and all his possessions had been captured by four kings who had come against Sodom and four other cities. Lot and Abraham were very, very close. And you have to know, when, when God told Abraham to leave his land and leave his family, well, Lot came with him. So when these kings took over Sodom and they took Lot and all his possessions, Abraham and 318 of his trained warriors went after the kings and their armies. 
And Abraham comes back, not only with his nephew Lot and his possessions, but all the goods the kings had taken from Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboam, and Bela. And a victory celebration followed, and Melchizedek brought out bread and wine. So Genesis 14, verse 17 through 20, if we could, Nate, we're going to pick up the story here. After Abraham's return from the defeat, of Kedorlamer, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet with him at the valley of Sheveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and Abraham gave him a tenth of what was recovered in the battle as an expression of gratitude and understanding of Melchizedek's superiority. It was a true act of worship, and under the law, which was going to come more than 400 years later, the tithe would be an obligation. But the father of our faith, Abraham, was a man whose recognition was too keen. Okay, he, he understood and saw clearly with spiritual understanding. And he's a humble man. And his faith is huge. And giving out of obligation is just not his style. This is a foreshadow of what is to come. That which was announced by Jesus, that true worshipers worship God truly and spiritually, not out of obligation or legalistic observance. So Abraham, the father of our faith, received the first blessing from the first priest of God, Most High. And so this is the same blessing the whole world has received, specifically those who believe like he did. Right? It's a faith that's without sight. He believed the promises of God. And Abraham and all those who were present at the victory party, I mean, they're celebrating, right? I mean, they went and took over four kings. They got Lot back, all the possessions back, all the families back. This is a big deal. They have no idea that the victory celebration that they were celebrating was a foreshadow of what was to come when Jesus would share bread and wine with the disciples. Remember, Melchizedek brought out bread and wine. When Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood of the covenant. And as some translations say, my blood which ratifies or makes official the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 7, 4 through 8, we're going to keep, keep unfolding this story. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one who is testified that he lives. 
And in the complete Jewish Bible, that translation of verse 7 reads, it is beyond dispute that the one who blesses has higher status than the one who receives the blessing. Abraham, the man who had received the amazing promises of God, recognized that Melchizedek was greater than himself and paid homage through the tithe. We're going to continue, verse 9. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives the tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So the author of Hebrews even points out that this priest Melchizedek is so awesome that even the Levitical priesthood, which would later receive tithes through the obligation of the law, paid a tithe to Melchizedek first through Abraham. And the sons of Levi, okay, they were, they were the bloodline of the Levitical priesthood, and they had to continually offer up sacrifices day after day, year after year, for their own sins and the sins of the people. Their work, the work of the Levitical priesthood, was never done. But Melchizedek wasn't of the Levitical priesthood. And the promise says the priest that we are to look for is one like Melchizedek. So we made the point that Melchizedek is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. And now we must realize that before Jesus, that Levitical priesthood was imperfect. Their work was never done. So continuing on in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? Verse 15, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent or bloodline, right? But by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we may draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Amen? The work was never done for the Levitical priesthood. They had to continually offer up sacrifices. And since they were a bloodline, it was kind of like getting a box of chocolates, okay, with these guys. Because you never know who's up next. It's a bloodline, right? They're born into it. You like some. You love some. You hate some. But one thing's true, they won't last very long. But let me tell you about Jesus. He was sworn by oath to fulfill the priesthood forever. And he is perfect. You're going to love him. You got to love him. Yeah. 
the, the Levites. They could never completely take away the sins. But just before Jesus, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And as we will hear about in, in the weeks to come, he sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, he sat down at the right hand of God. And it's not one of those sit downs where you kind of sit and, and, and you, you know, you're not real sure. You kind of look around like, is it okay for me to sit? It's not one of those kind of sit downs, you know. This is, this is the king with the crown on and he takes a seat with authority, you know. He just looks, big old smile and just, boom, sits down. I, the work is done. It's finished. Galatians 3 summarizes the difference between the promise and the law really well. Starting in verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. Everyone say one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Somebody say, it is a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. So Melchizedek is the foreshadow of Jesus Christ. And before Jesus came, we had an imperfect priesthood upholding the law until Jesus came. And we know Jesus is the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I think it's really cool. In the book of Matthew, the, the very first verse says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, that Jesus was indeed the promised seed or offspring of Abraham. The first verse of the New Testament. I'm almost done. Ben, if you don't mind, would you come back up? I want to share a couple more things to help us understand the amazing faith of Abraham and the foreshadow that was given of Jesus who was to come. Hebrews 11 talks about the faith of Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah is Abraham's wife. Therefore, from one man, 
and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So the writer confirms Abraham received the promise. He obeyed God and he wasn't looking for a physical place. It says he was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And I have to ask you, what city is that? The city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Well, we talked about it from the very start. Melchizedek was the king of Salem or Salem. In Hebrews chapter 12, it's called Mount Zion. It's called heavenly Jerusalem. The city of the living God where Jesus is king and high priest. It is our home. Now, how did Abraham know that he was looking for a city beyond this world? That's the faith of our father Abraham. Amazing faith. His understanding was so keen. He understood with spiritual understanding what God had promised. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 speaks a little more about this amazing faith of Abraham. When he was tested, he offered up Isaac. So he finally had a son. God said, through you, I'll make nations and you'll have all these descendants. And he finally has the son, Isaac. And he obeys God and offers him up. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, and of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. God had told him, through this guy, this kid of yours, all the rest of the offspring will come. He considered that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, i got to take you to, back to the story just for a second. When Isaac is there with his dad and they're getting the wood ready, Isaac said, Dad, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Abraham said, Son, God will provide for himself the lamb. How did he know? Do you see the foreshadow? That Jesus later became the perfect and spotless lamb that God provided for us all. And do you see how great Father Abraham, his faith, all the promises received and he was still willing to obey God even to the point of sacrificing his only son, which we see the foreshadow that Father God sacrifices one and only son in order to fulfill his very own promise to our father Abraham. Abraham is the father of our faith because he trusted God. He understood God to be true to his promises and God was faithful. God is faithful. God will be faithful. And he was faithful to initiate the first covenant through Abraham, a man of amazing faith. And before the foundations of the world were laid, he chose for the better covenant to come through Jesus, the one who was and is and is to come. Hebrews 7, 26 through 28, it reads, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need 
like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the first time in the whole chapter of Hebrews 7 where the word high priest is mentioned. To be a high priest means there are priests who serve under your leadership, okay? Now, we know that Jesus has been appointed as the perfect high priest forever. So then who are those priests who serve under his leadership? 1 Peter 2.9 gives us the answer. Who are the priests who serve under the leadership of the high priest, Jesus Christ? But you. Some, look at your neighbor and say, but you. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a people for his own possession. You are a people for his own possession. Just in this moment, that is standing out to me because we live in a very entertainment-driven culture where we do not allow ourselves to be separated unto God. We'll be separate for... (laughs) There are so many other things that grab our attention. But are we allowing ourselves to be a people for His own possession? Holy, sacred, innocent, unstained, reflecting the high priest. We are the priests under the high priest. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And to sum it up, this is Revelation 1, 4 through 6. Grace to you, my family, people of God, grace to you, and peace from him who is and was and is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. He is the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Abraham was willing to recklessly abandon everything in this world in order to trust God. He knew that he was God's own possession. Are we willing to do the same? Are you willing to do the same? 
abandon everything in this world to be God's own possession. Let me tell you, people, Jesus is the guarantee of a perfect covenant. It is done, and it doesn't get any better than what is presented to you right now and forever. There will never be a greater promise. King, priest, priesthood, and family. We are in it. We're in the midst of it, and we get to proclaim it when we walk out of this place. Amen. Father God, you are amazing. You are faithful. You are a God of promise. Remind us, Holy Spirit, of the promises you've given each and every one of us. Individually, you have spoken to us. You've put hope in our hearts. You've given us promises. May we trust you. And may we look to heavenly Jerusalem. May we separate ourselves as possessions of you. Separate unto God. Come out of the world. And be intimate with God, your Father. We love you, Jesus. And we belong to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.